John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, big day today. Of course, at 1 o'clock, it's the end of the trade deadline. And, of course, very important day. But it's been pretty quiet so far. There's been more no's than yeses. And, of course, the big thing right now to see if Seattle is going to be able to make another deal for somebody. Uh, what's going to happen with Stephon Gilmore? That doesn't look real promising. Uh, John Ross starting to look pessimistic that he's going to be able to get out of the Cincinnati Bengals. So all those things. And, of course, we'll keep you totally updated on what's going on. There was, what, uh, three trades yesterday, one trade Sunday night, which takes it up to 70 or 71 for the season. But, again, I, I'm getting the pessimistic feeling that, there's not going to be a lot. I think what you're looking at is that uh, you know, teams have taken the, pers- the, the idea. It's like, okay, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes and test everything out. But in the end, uh, we'll see how many more deals can come. But, uh, and you figure there's still going to be a couple. And, of course, you know, it'll slip a little past the deadline because, again, sometimes they'll get a deal at the last minute. And uh, you know, that would work out. But uh, overall, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. But let's get going with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one, most teams are looking at this, you know, they don't want to add salary this year. And it's basically taking away from money that you could you could save in 2021, because if you have money left over this year, you can add it on to your number of 175 for next year. And so that's why, to me, I thought you would see more. But guys like Ryan Kerrigan, you know, guys like, um, you know, a lot of veteran players, quite honestly, who have big numbers this year, that's why teams are shying away from them. Peter King talking about the trade deadline and why there's a lot of pessimism. There's not going to be a lot of trades. And there hasn't really been. And again, the reason is that uh, you have the $175 million cap, which will probably be a little higher than that next year. But you know, if you tra- drop $20 million in the cap, you've got teams like that. That's why was, we'll talk about the Kwame Alexander trade here in a second. I was surprised that the New Orleans Saints did that. But uh, you know, just kind of checking around on some of the deals. Seattle, according to Jerry Jones, did check in on Alden Smith. And we're told they're not trading him. You know, Tack, uh, McKin- McKinley uh, over in Atlanta has now kind of tweeted out that, uh, you know, as much trade talk as there is involving him and there's been teams that have acquired, they're not trading him. Red Washington football team, they've said that they're not going to trade Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, we now get word from the New England Patriots that uh, Bill Belichick for Stephon Gilmore wants a number one uh, pick and a player, which doesn't look like anything's going to happen there. As we mentioned, John Ross kind of on the waiting edge getting the idea that it's nothing might get. One of the problems also is the fact that uh, you've got the six-day intake period where you have to go through COVID testing and all that. So, for example, if you pick up a guy on Tuesday, you're not going to get him back in the building until, you know, either Monday or on, uh, you know, Monday or Tuesday of next week. So you're not getting him for week nine. And so that's an issue. But again, the deadline officially is going to be at 1 p.m. today. We're going to talk to ESPN insider Dan Graziano at 10.30 to kind of check up to see what he's hearing, get the trends and the trades and all that stuff. I know the New York Giants are trying to trade uh, Golden Tate. That could be a possibility. Also, uh, Mark Ingram, the tight end, because they're pretty well out of it at the 1-7. But the trade deadline is coming, and we continue to talk about it. Number two. 
I think they'll look elsewhere and decide. See, the way the 49ers set up their contracts, and Jimmy G is no exception, you know, they, they it's rolling year-to-year guarantees, and they don't even really have a trigger that kicks in the next year's guarantee until April 1st. And that's intentional because that's a couple of weeks after the start of free agency. So a team like the 49ers can look at its other options and assess, can we get a guy in free agency or via trade? Or how is the draft looking for us before they decide? That's Dan Graziano, who will be joining us at 10.30, talking about the 49ers. And the 49ers did make a deal uh, that sent uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, well, not Jimmy Garoppolo, but it sent uh, you know uh, one good player, Kwame Alexander, who I think in many ways has been a disappointment. Yeah, he's been injured so much in the last two years. Sent him over to the uh, New Orleans Saints. They get a conditional draft choice and Kiko Alonso. And that's the fourth team now that I think has moved on Kiko Alonso. It's kind of unfortunate. He's moving all the way through the league. But uh, the other bad news for the 49ers is that uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo is going to miss at least six weeks and may need surgery on that ankle. And you know it's like, are, are we kind of watching kind of the same thing that uh, you saw with the New York Jets happen? You know because you had Adam Gaze, you know, with that shoulder injury that was suffered a few weeks ago with Sam Darnold taking him and you know putting him back in the game and then he had to go and miss two two or three games and then you came back and right now his shoulder's bothering him again and we don't know when or if he's going to be able to play this week then the other bad news for the 49ers is that George Kittle has a broken bone in his foot he can be out eight weeks and it's pretty well ending his season because hey if it's going to be eight weeks uh, they have a bye week and all that I mean you're not going to bring George Kittle back in week 17 when you're going to be pretty well out of it so I think right now you can pretty well say that uh, the 49ers are on the verge of being done for the season. You know, they got a Thursday game coming up against the Green Bay Packers, which is going to be followed by a game against the New Orleans Saints. And the 49ers, of course, you know, they're going to be so short on players. They're going to be short on running backs, wide receivers. They won't have George Kittle. They're going with Nick Mullins at uh, quarterback. And, you know, there's a lot of talk right now that uh, they're starting to kind of wonder, hey, is Jimmy Garoppolo the right quarterback for this team? And again, he's affected totally by by that high ankle sprain, but right now, even though he took the team to the Super Bowl last year, I mean, there's a good chance that they may have to consider getting a new quarterback next year. Number three. Kick is short. Amir Abdullah takes it at the five. Oh! Good evening. Hello. How are you? Demontre Moore flying downfield and just levels Amir Abdullah. I mean, just plastered him. So we find out yesterday that Demontre Moore, who actually had a real good game on Sunday, is going to be suspended for six games uh, for violating the uh, PED policy. You know, back in 2017, he had a two-game suspension for uh, league substance abuse policy. And, you know, in seven games, Moore's had one sack, a forced fumble, and eight tackles. Uh, So that does open up the roster spot for at least one of the two guys we're going to be mentioning here, Rasheem Green and Carlos Dunlap. And with all these guys, you know, going to be added, they're going to need about four or five roster spaces. But the unfortunate thing is they lose a pass rusher who's actually been doing some good things. And so uh, right now, Moore is eligible to return to the team on week 14. That's a game against the New York Jets. But Demontre Moore getting a six-game suspension and will not be available for the next six weeks. Number four. Looking for the tie. Two-point conversion. Shotgun. Jones looks to his right, throws to his right, and it is broken up! Trying to hit Lewis, flag down. And here there is, is no the call. foul for defense pass interference on the play. It's over. The Buccaneers hold on. 
<laughs> what a wild game. <clears throat> the Bucks ended up getting a 25-23 to controversial victory. And here it is. The Giants get the touchdown at the end. are going for the two-point conversion. And, of course, it was such a close play that uh, you know the one official threw the flag for interference on Tampa Bay. And then uh, the other official thought no. So they had a consultation and thought that it was kind of simultaneous type of collision with that. And so that play was overruled and no two-point conversion. And so now Tampa Bay escapes with a 25-23 victory. Uh, Tom Brady was 28-40 of 40 for 270 79 yards and two touchdowns. Certainly, he's in the conversation for MVP, but not to the level of, say, Patrick Mahomes, not to the level I even think of Aaron Rodgers, and definitely not for Russell Wilson, because I think Russell has a substantial edge right now in being able to get it. Daniel Jones continues to make turnovers. It just doesn't stop. He had uh, two interceptions, and that just kills this team. And, boy, you, you look at the Giants, and they're, they've, they've been flatlining now for four years. You know, at midseason, you know, they've had either one or two wins the last four years. It doesn't get any better. And, of course, they have Will Hernandez on COVID's testing. Uh, he tested positive, so they had to bring in another offensive lineman, Kenny Wiggins, to be able to fill in his spot for a while. Bucks, meanwhile, are 6-2, and two, and here it comes Sunday night. Big game as they take on the New Orleans Saints for the second time this year to see, you know, if uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can just win that division outright or if the Saints can claw their way back in. And so interesting times. The Saints are 5-2, and two, and, of course, the Bucks are 6-2. and two, And right now you can say the Bucks are the number two seed in the NFC. Number five. The competition committee had a, a, a long conference call today about contingencies and prepared as this pandemic obviously is not going away. We know what the numbers are spiking. And if for some reason oh, there are games lost, uh, then what they are going to put as forth as a resolution to the owners eventually is if games are lost, then there will be eight teams in each conference, four first-place teams in the NFC, four first-place teams in the AFC, and then four additional teams in each conference. So that would be 16 teams in all for the playoffs, and they would be uh, seeded accordingly. Yeah, certainly don't know if I like this one, but again, it's like, hey, you have to make some plans because if you're now the number one seed, uh, you'll be now playing the eighth seed and not getting a bye week or anything of like that to try to rest up and go ahead and do that. But it's like a provision, and, you know, they're still trying to see if they can avoid a week 18. They made it through the first half of the season pretty much and I know internally what they're thinking is hey as long as there's going to be the idea that you can get eight games in then you know things can still work out but it still looks like I think they're going to be able to get all 265 256 games in still you know that there's going to be possible move backs and we only have about four more weeks of bye weeks and once they expire which is going to be week 13 when you have one two teams in for bye weeks then of course then you have to pick the games and put them in week 18 if you want to have the uh, 256 games played and so how they'll determine the extra team qualifier it's going to be the competitions committee to try to figure it out but that's on the table and again they want to have the playoffs they want to have the super bowl and certainly they want to continue all these good things going on despite the pandemic hey you can listen to the show via the 710 sports app it's powered by the dubin law group coming up next we're going to go under further review and talk about the blitz will the seahawks continue to blitz are they going to use more of it less of it what's going to be the strategy it's the john clayton show 710 espn seattle under further review with john clayton we'll review the play Well, the Seahawks on Sunday blitzed and blitzed heavily 
and particularly Bobby Wagner had one of his best games blitzing, something that he likes to do. And, of course, you would anticipate there's going to be more of it coming up in the game against the Buffalo Bills, mainly because you know, J- Jamal a- Adams is going to be back. And so, and he's such a good blitzer. And so it's going to be kind of a combination. Who's going to be coming first? Is it going to be uh, Adams? Is it going to be Bobby Wagner? But, uh, you know, obviously you have to kind of watch it because you do leave yourself vulnerable for big plays. But it's still a matter. It's like, okay, uh, that, that's one way to get to the quarterback. Also, it's going to be interesting to see with Carlos Dunlap added to the roster, how much he can help improve the pass rush. Uh, you know, they were able to get by using, you know, a bunch of rookies at different points uh, in the game Sunday, and that worked out pretty well. Stephon uh, Stevens was able to come in and do some good things, and certainly Alton Robinson came in as a rookie and had one of his most extensive games. But, you know, I guess you still have the deficiencies on the defensive line as far as getting to the quarterback and getting pressure on the quarterback, though it improved on Sunday. Can it go against a Buffalo Bills team that has a very mobile quarterback and a big quarterback? in Josh Allen. That still has to be determined. But I know that uh, that conversation about blitzing, will there be more? Will there be less? That was on with Danny and Gallant and Brock Hewitt chimed in. How sustainable is a defense rooted in blitzing? Well, I think if you get Shaq Griffin back, I, I think it's much more sustainable than the alternative that we watched for five weeks, giving up 470-some yards. So, yeah, I, I think Ugo Amadi, I kind of like this DJ Reed kid that, that came out of nowhere um, that, that is scrappy and tough. Kind of remember last week or two weeks ago, we were chatting about Pete's just parameters that he has for his DBs and how much he loves length and everything else. But I think in this day and age, speed and quickness, ball awareness there's the, the league's evolving is the, is the league is playing more and more in space um with those college principles so you know ugo and if you can get Shaq back and and hopefully kind of ratchet quentin dunbar up three or four notches i think uh Diggs is comfortable playing some man coverage jordan brooks looks comfortable and fast playing if he has to some man coverage because that's ultimately the question paul is if you're going to crank that blitz up how ultimately comfortable are you playing one-on-one? How comfortable are you leaving those matchups? And the alternative is that zone defense and in the soft zone defense and stay on top and keep everything in front of you, which, you know, as we saw, gave up so many yards. And, and yes, you won games, but you won a couple of them by one play against New England and Minnesota, and that, that margin got awfully, awfully small. So uh, sign me up. Sign me up, especially with this offense. You know, many, many times, you know, you've got to play complementary football. Championship teams have to be balanced and play complementary football. And as dynamic as this offense is, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind turning it up and, and playing a little bit more man and being more aggressive. And I think Bobby echoed many of those sen- sentiments coming out of that game Sunday. Yeah, and I think as Brock says, particularly if you get Shaquille Griffin back, you can see now with DJ Reed being added, maybe Ugo Amadi not being play, playing, and of course, you know, you still got Quentin Dunbar. They do have the ability to do more man. Of course, again, have to kind of watch that because you've got a mobile quarterback in Josh Allen who can cause you some problems because he can run the football. That could that could be a little bit of an issue, but I have to think right now it's got to be all out because, you know, you can win this game. It's going to be tough. I, I think everybody kind of realized this was going to be the one of the toughest road games are going to have early start going to uh, Buffalo a good team right now that's on its path to be able to win the uh, AFC East particularly after their win over the New England Patriots on Sunday and so 
uh, all all systems seem to be go there. But uh, you know, they're still a beatable type of team. And if you can cause problems for a quarterback who does have a tendency to make mistakes and throw interceptions, then you have a good chance of pulling out that win. And of course, now uh, the troops are coming back. You know, Jamal Adams should be there. We'll see about Benson Mayoa. Uh, you got Carlos Dunlap. You still have the possibility of you know bringing Damon Snacks Harrison off the practice squad. Again, you would have to think that it's not going to be a two-week injury on the concussion for Shaquille Griffin. So, and uh, you know, Trey Flowers did a real good job, played well, his best game of the season after a lot of struggle. So, I think when you put all this together, Curtis, that uh, you might as well blitz and be aggressive and try to get as much to the quarterback as you can, because it's certainly you saw how much it worked in holding Jimmy Garoppolo to 112 yards and re-injuring his uh, bad ankle. Yeah, and I think especially going up against Josh Allen, a kind of quarterback who will take risks, who will make the dangerous throw. If you can pressure him and, and get him uh, sort of thinking uh, a little too much out there, that could be to Seattle's benefit. That could really uh, you know, give Seattle an advantage on Sunday. Because i, I got to be honest, John, Josh Allen, he's got that rocket arm, but there are some throws that he makes oh, yeah. that uh, definitely make your heart skip a beat. And I think we're going to see some of that, especially on Sunday. And with Seattle's defense as advantageous as they've been, they're still really good at generating turnovers. I think we could see a couple go their way. Pete Carroll, uh, multiple times in the last couple of days, after the game on Sunday and also with Danny and Gallant on the Pete Carroll show, uh, was asked about what caused them to blitz more on Sunday against the 49ers. He said just letting the guys play like they want to play. Really, it's just playing to the nature of our of our crew. And, and they they want to play aggressive. They want to be aggressive. We started off the season that way, and then we kind of drifted away from it a little bit um, because of personnel and, and uh, just decided to make the commitment to get, let's just make sure that we're, Making it hard on the offense, and and so you know that's basically what we always try to do. Uh, we just did a little more in a different fashion this week. That's an interesting quote there, John, saying he want they want their guys to play like how they want to play. Where last year we saw them play, they they stuck in their base defense so much, and it at times it may have hurt them. This year, it appears as though the Seahawks are doing much better at sort of playing to the skill set that they have. Do you think Pete Carroll and the defense, uh, the defensive coaching staff, noticed something over the last couple of weeks and said, you know what, we got to change something here. Let's get after the quarterback a little bit more. Yeah, and I think it's almost like the offense where you're constantly adjusting. I mean, you know, you have to say this offense is adjusting more because it's more using more first and second down passes that usually you don't see from this team. And that's, of course, I think the evolution of Brian Schottenheimer and certainly with Russell Wilson. And I think, you know, you had to make a little bit of an adjustment once you lost Jamal Adams because, I mean, he came out of the box in that first game. And what did he have, like 11 rushes? He had seven pressures on the quarterback and a sack. And, you know, that seemed to go so well. But then once he got the groin injury and was missing, you had to pull back a little bit. But in this game, because, you know, it was an immobile quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo. And so that played to the benefit of trying to use the blitz. And certainly, I mean, this is a big, big quarterback with a strong arm, but again, if you can force mistakes, that's going to be huge. The big thing you have to watch is going to be, you know, the coverage in the secondary because, you know, what you have in Buffalo, particularly if John Brown's healthy, he's been hurt off and on, but he was certainly back. They have one of the best three receiving cores in football, and they can get the ball downfield more than they did last year, particularly because of Stephon Diggs. 
Yeah, Stephon Diggs is he's taken another step in his career this season. Uh he's he's clearly playing for a team that he likes playing for and I think that's been big for him this season and you know the combination between him and Josh Allen has been so dangerous uh for a lot of teams when trying to guard that. Uh but you look at Seattle's secondary John, they're going to get reinforcements back in Jamal Adams, potentially Shaquille Griffin. Do you think Seattle's secondary will be able to keep Buffalo in check, or could this be, uh, you know, just kind of tales old as time as it's been this season, where the other quarterback's going to get their three hundred, four hundred yards? Yeah, you'd anticipate it's going to be a three hundred yard game, but you know, the key certainly for Seattle is making sure you have a good double double digit lead, so it's like you can handle that, and then you know, just hope to get the right uh, thing. But you know, I think nope. I think going into the weekend, nobody thought that defense was going to show any improvement, particularly with the injuries and all the all the things that were going wrong. And so now, I think there's a little more hope that they can do some things, and which I think is you know important because again, they need to at least get the best out of this defense they can. They're getting the best out of the offense, and uh, hey, this is such an important game because and, and after this. This, you know, you have two division games, another one on the road against the Rams and a home game against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But, uh, you know, you can see that uh, Seattle has such an advantage and it just gets you over the top. And that's the one thing, except for the Arizona game, this team has been consistently over the top. It has. It definitely has. And I think the the changes we've seen on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball this season, John, I think that gives me a little bit more hope heading into the season second half than than maybe last year where it just felt like the Seahawks were just trying to press the same buttons and hoping for different results. This year I think they're pressing the different buttons and and they're seeing those different results. I know one thing that we talked about on Danny and Gallant this morning is that uh and you know I'm going to be researching this the rest of the day but uh you know you know John Snyder getting criticized for not going out and getting that pass rusher. Well guess what? Uh, that's that seems to be it. It's like name me the pass rusher acquired by a team this year that's really done well. Uh, because I mean, you look at you know they paid nine and a half million dollars in Tennessee for Vic Beasley, thirteen million dollars for uh, Jadevian Clowney, and neither one has a sack. And that team has less sacks in Seattle. They have seven. Seattle has twelve. And then you look at uh, you know uh, Dallas. They went out and they they got uh, six million dollars to Everson Griffin, and I think he got one sack. And now he's sitting up in Detroit waiting to play his first game. And so it's like okay, it's nice to be able to uh, think you can get the pass rusher. But sometimes, some years, it just doesn't work out. So uh, uh, right now, Seattle's still manufacturing, trying to see, uh, trying to see if there's going to be maybe a trade before one o'clock. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll check in on the trade deadline with ESPN's Dan Graziano. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, I'll tell you what, I can't be more thankful to be able to talk to Dan Graziano on a day like this because I know, having been in his seat at ESPN for so many years on the trade deadline, it usually is pretty crazy and it's hard to to be able to do any kind of a radio show unless it's going to be on ESPN radio. So, Dan, I thank you so much. And I'm kind of getting the idea of the way things have evolved today and even a little bit yesterday. Trade uh, deals are not getting done. Yeah, I, I get the first of all, anytime, John. I mean, I, you know, happy to drop what I'm doing for you, of course. But um, yeah, there's not a lot going on. It's a, there's a lot of what are you hearing, and a lot of uh, not much because I think teams are really, really concerned about adding 
uh, salary. I, I mean, you add first of all, you add in the fact that it's going to take six days to get a guy in the building, so you really don't have him for this week. Now you're talking about having to carry over salary cap room to next year because the cap's going to go down. Every team's concerned about that. So I think when in the past you might have seen uh, a team, quote-unquote, go for it by adding a contract um, or even a rental player for two months, uh, teams are more hesitant to do that this year because of the coming uh, cap reduction in 2021. Yeah, which I think is 100% true, and you know that's why big deals aren't going to happen. But the one that confused me was the deal yesterday uh, with Quam Alexander going over to New Orleans, and uh, you know, and you know, we both do the same thing. I mean, I I, I really study the cap. I mean, you study the uh, all the the cap and everything else. But uh, you know, but what I can't understand is how can the Saints pick up Quam Alexander, putting him over a hundred million dollars if the cap's going to be one hundred and seventy-five million, as a beat-up player who's not done lived up to his contract in San Francisco, has a big number, and it's like uh, they were going to cut him after the season because they had to cut him because of you know cut him and D Ford and you know uh, West Western yeah. Richburg and all that stuff. How did they? Why did they make that trade? And plus, he's not healthy and hasn't been healthy for two years. It's a weird one because, you know, calling around, I know other teams are looking for defensive help, and people are like, nah, I mean, that guy's got too many question marks, too much contract. But, yeah, I mean, the Saints just don't seem to care about the salary cap to the extent that other teams do. I mean, they're constantly up against it, constantly finagling and reworking contracts. They're going to be paying cap charges for Drew Brees two, three years after he's retired. Uh, they just, they always, that's the one team that's always acting like they're in a go for it mode. And, and uh, I don't know what uh, tricks they have to do with the salary cap to get a guy like that under it and still operate next year. But uh, the Saints are, seems to me, always willing to do that no matter what long-term effect it might have. They are the one of the few exceptions uh, to the first thing I said, which is the teams are being careful about their cap. Well, the thing that adds to the confusion for me is that, I mean, he's hurt. He's got a high ankle sprain, right? Yeah. And he's in the middle of and a high not, ankle sprain. he usually is hurt. Yeah, and so, and the, the problem with this is that, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to be a playoff team next year. Let's assume, because again, whether they keep Drew Brees or he retires, you know, it's a big cap hit of over, what, $25, 26000000 million. And the idea is that if your 50% of your cap is going to be in dead money, which of course uh, can very well be the case uh, next year, then what you're looking at is that, uh, you know, and of course you're looking at, uh, you know, a number that's going to be so bad that, uh, you know, they, they, they won't be, they're not going to be a playoff team. That goes back with 50% of your cap is in dead money. Since 2013, there's not been one team that's been able to make the playoffs. And so they're going to have to break up that team. Yes. Uh, yes, but I think the Saints went into this year figuring it was Breeze's last ride. Yeah. So they're probably going to have to do something along the lines of breaking up that team no matter what. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't get how they, they – they operate differently than other teams in terms of the, what they do with their salary cap. You know, I think when you go back a few years, it seemed like the Steelers were always kicking money down the road on the cap. The Cowboys, for a time, operated like that. But you don't really see too many teams still doing what the Saints do in terms of creating this. You know, it's almost like a it's almost like a balloon payment, right, on a mm-hmm. mortgage, right? Like at some point, you're going to have to you're going to have a huge bill come due, and it's got to come due for the Saints. They've been able to push it off for a while, but the motivation has always been as long as we have Drew Brees, 
let's try and make sure to win the very next Super Bowl. And um, and that's what they're doing. So, I mean, Quan Alexander played in last year's Super Bowl. He was, uh, he was an important part of what the Niners did last year. When he's healthy, he can be a very productive player. And I think the Saints have probably not been the defense they're used to being so far this year. Uh, so worth a shot for them, especially considering, you know, they, they know they're going to have a problem in the offseason anyway. So, um, you know, yeah, a lot of tough decisions coming for them. But I guess they felt like it was worth it to take a shot on a player that might help um, put them over the top. Yeah, uh, we see now <clears throat> that Bill Belichick is now complaining, not complaining, yeah. but saying the cap has been the problem for the team. And, of course, uh, it's like, well, uh, the problem is, you know, because we were all in. Well, you weren't all in last year because you didn't get enough receivers and enough tight ends for yeah. uh, Tom Tom Brady. And it's like uh, he was asking now for a number one pick and a player for Stephon Gilmore, and you know that one's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if they like Gilmore, and he's not expensive uh, next year, he's got he. If you acquired Gilmore, you're paying him six and a half million for the rest of this year, and then seven next year for the defensive player of the year. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. And so, if you're the Patriots and you're going to move him, um, you better get something. And so, I think that's what we're seeing here. Like, yeah, we can talk Gilmore if you want, but it's going to cost. Uh, we're not just looking to dump him. So. He's not Gilmore's not the the biggest problem uh, they have with regard to their cap and their money situation in New England. So yeah, I would be surprised if someone gave that up, and I would be surprised if the Patriots dropped their price because he's a player that they're very fond of for good reason, uh, and uh, and he could be part of their future plans too. Now they'll have to look: do they want to extend him beyond next year, et cetera, et cetera? They obviously have a lot of decisions to make. But Belichick talking like that, I think, is fascinating because. Yeah, this, I think the story of the past two decades in the Patriots is how they managed to beat the salary cap. I mean, the entire system is set up to prevent what the Patriots and Bill Belichick have done for the last 20 years, uh, and they've managed to do it, whether it's getting Tom Brady to take less or playing hardball with free agents because you, you, know, you can hold a potential Super Bowl uh, over their head in, in negotiations, all that kind of stuff that they've done. So what he's saying is, look, we, we sold out, what do you say, we sold out for the last five years and we won three Super Bowls and went to another one. Like his point is like, look, a lot of teams do this and, and get caught in cap, you know, cap prison and have nothing to show for it. At least we won the title three times. Right? <laughs> At least we can say we did that uh, so it was actually worth it. But right now they're, what he's saying is they just don't have the wherewithal to operate and put a real competitive team on the field, and I think that's that's what we're seeing. Yeah, no doubt. I know that uh, there's talk between Green Bay and Houston over a wide receiver, but there seems to be mixed reviews in the Packers' front office and the coaching staff or wherever whether they should do it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers you know, at least gave them the blessing they don't have to do anything, but they haven't done anything uh, adding receivers for him anyways. I mean, can yeah. something be done there? I mean, it's the Packers, right? Like, they don't, this is not them to go out and trade. Let's talk, let's say it's Will Fuller, right? Yeah. He's, got, he's got two months left on his contract. Uh, if he walks and signs somewhere else for a good contract, then, you know, the, the Texans have a chance to get a third-round compensatory pick out of the deal. So why would, if you're Houston and, you know, you're already worried about Deshaun Watson because you, you, you uh being mad at you because you got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, why would you move Fuller for anything less than a second-round pick? You're going to get a third-round pick anyway. So flip it over to the Packers. If that's the guy they want, does, does trading a second-round pick for a wide receiver in the middle of the season sound like a Packer thing to do? It does not. 
I mean, they were they were handing out uh, wide receivers, good wide receivers like candy in last year's draft, and the Packers just ignored every single one of them. So they feel like they have enough. They feel like you know, with Alan Lazard coming back off IR, that they that they like their group and it's good enough, and they're. 18 and five over the last two years, and uh, and they think they have a, a chance to get set up to to take another shot at going to the Super Bowl this year. That's just how they operate. The the outside cacophony of oh they never get Rodgers any help, blah 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 blah. That doesn't seep in in Green Bay. They they run their organization the way they run it, and they feel like they've been very successful. And I you know I, I am I going to say they're not going to make a move in the next two hours? I I can't say that with confidence, but. I do believe if they made a big move at the deadline, especially for a rental player, that would be very unpacker of them. Yeah, that's true. No question about it. And, of course, Seattle taking criticism. for now They were able to get Carlos Dunlap, but not getting yeah. much help at the defensive end. But, yeah, I'm scratching my head to realize what what team was really able to get defensive end help for rushing the passer. I mean, for example, Devin and Clowney got, yeah. what, $13 million, and uh, Vic Beasley, $9.5 million, $22.5 million, and neither one has a sack, and the team, Tennessee, has seven sacks. You know, uh, Everson Griffin didn't work out for the Dallas Cowboys. Now he's in Detroit. I mean, was there really any, any kind of a pass rusher that you could acquire? No, it's like quarterback, right? Like, it, those, if someone has a good one, they don't let them go. So they're, it's very rare that they become available. So you're going to have to take sort of a warts and all solution uh, if you're going for edge rusher, right? I mean, Dunlap obviously wanted out a little bit older player, you know, not what he used to be. But, you know, Seattle you know, needs all the help they can get on defense, and they feel like it's worth a shot to see if, you know, being there uh, kindles something in him. Uh, Everson Griffin with the Lions. Look, I mean, like, is he, you know, would, you'd rather have Khalil Mack, but you can't get Khalil Mack, right? So what can you get? And they feel like Everson Griffin is a fit for what they want to do. So, um, yeah, and so that's the I mean, like, this, the Packers, same thing with the Packers. They need help on defense. Uh, Dalvin Cook just tore him up. But are you going to get an impact middle linebacker or a strong side linebacker or a defensive tackle that's going to help avoid that in the future? Uh, at the NFL trade deadline, it's just not – as you well know, John, it's just not like that. You have to find an imperfect solution that you hope can learn your system quickly and plug in and, and help right away uh, in a very compressed time frame that we're talking about really by the time you get them in the building now, seven or eight games. No doubt. Hey, Dan Graziano, stay stay by the phone. Wait to see if more deals come up. We'll watch on TV and read on ESPN.com. Hey, thanks, John. Always good to talk to you. Okay, Dan Graziano from ESPN, good friend, great person. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we'll keep you updated on the trade deadline. We go behind the lines. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, of course, we find out now you know, moves are going to be made, and uh, one move was just made by the Seattle Seahawks. Luke Wilson cut by the Seahawks. You know, you can understand that big tight end room because they had, ended up having five tight ends on the roster on Sunday, and you know, Luke Wilson had been inactive at different times in the last few weeks, and so now he is going to be out. Uh, now you figure that there's a good chance that you know a day or so down the line, because you know, again, he, waiver claims on veterans like him don't start until tomorrow. But you know, so his contract is terminated, but he can still come back and go on the practice squad if he wishes. And 
and that could be a possibility. But you know, they had and really technically you can say uh, there was six tight ends because Stephon Stevens uh, was out there as a defensive end, but he is also a tight end, and so uh, you know they had that kind of flexibility. But nevertheless, a tough break to see Luke Wilson, just a popular guy, but you know they can still keep him around. But as the roster goes, and of course the Seahawks do need a lot of roster space this week, you know, with the likelihood that they'll have uh, you know, Carlos Dunlap, Rasheem Green coming back, uh, Damon Snacks, Harrison, you know, maybe somebody. Well, not that anybody they can add today because it's too late for that to happen. But, uh, yeah, you kind of figure something was brewing at tight end, and that kind of gives me the idea that uh, Jacob Hollister is going to survive and not uh, be available or be available for this team, you know, because, you know, they still need some cap room and all those different things. But, uh, you know, I think that sounds to me like there's not going to be any Hollister trade, uh, Curtis. Yeah, it it looks as though... I would be stunned, actually, John, if anything happens on the Seahawks trade front over the next couple of hours because uh, we're just, what, two hours and some change away from the deadline. Uh, and, you know, as as you know, as everybody knows, any trade that gets done today, well, they're not going to be able to play for you for a while, at least. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, week 10, I believe, the the very first week that these players are going to be eligible to play for the team. And I think the Seahawks right now, looking at what they have coming back, what they have uh, coming off the injured lists and all that, I, I mean, that's that seems like enough reinforcements, wouldn't you think? You would think so, yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, because particularly, I mean, that's why the Dunlap, Dunlap trade was so huge because, I mean, he's a huge guy in the 280s and all that stuff, 285, but he can't play on the edge. And he's, you know, had Pro Bowls back 215, 216. He's just a good football player. Yeah. Uh, John, also on the uh, docket today, uh, there's also you know more trade rumors getting out there. Will Fuller, his name's been thrown out by the Packers, uh, potentially adding him. Uh, is there anybody you see getting dealt today, or could it just be minor moves? I think it's going to be minor moves. I mean, there seems to be a disagreement in the Packers' front office whether to do any kind of a deal from one of those Houston wide receivers. And so that seems to be an internal debate. And if you can't solve the debate internally, what are you going to do? You have to kind of say, okay, let's not worry about it and do something different. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of get the feeling just some minor deals if there's going to be any. Yeah, even Tack McKinley yesterday taking to Twitter saying the Falcons aren't trading me, aren't trading me. They have declined a handful of offers. Uh, interesting this trade season. It feels like more and more players have sort of gone to social media with their trade demands or or with their uh, just sort of them forcing the hand of the organization that they currently play for. We know John Ross over the weekend very vocal about mm-hmm. his current situation in Cincinnati. Do you think this is something that that players are, are going to try to do more often now that they see guys like Jamal Adams who who went that route get the trade that they desired, or or is this just kind of uh, you know a one time thing? No, I think it's going to be something that uh, you can see more of because again, if it works and you want out of there, and you know when you have more bad teams than we've had in the longest period of time, then it it does make sense to try to do it and you know squawk as much as you can. I mean, you know Jalen Ramsey kind of started. 
don't know if he really technically started the trend, but of course, you know, as much as he whined about, you know, getting out of Jacksonville, they traded him out of Jacksonville. <clears throat> and then, of course, you got Ndokwe wanting to get out of there, and he got out of there. If you do it, it's one of the reasons I think that the Bengals uh, are reluctant to make too many trades or any trades, period. And the reason for that is because, you know, it's like, okay, if they've been bad for such a long period of time now, is that everybody wants out. And it's like, so it's like, you know, you, you, if you honor that request and everybody can start marching into the front office or going on Twitter or doing something like that and saying, get me out of here. Yeah. Also some news around the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be without Andy Dalton for another week. Uh, uh, not because of the concussion he sustained two weeks ago. This is according to Todd Archer. Dalton will be placed on the reserve COVID-19 list on oh. Tuesday. So in addition to the concussion, uh, it would appear as though he's tested positive for COVID-19. So just a, even more bad news for I Andy mean, nothing, Dalton. Nothing goes right for this team. No. I mean, it's just horrible. <laughs> and, of course, uh, you know, I don't think anybody feels sorry for him. I don't think that's the case. But, uh, yeah, it is just an absolute mess in Dallas. And you saw against Philadelphia how bad they looked. I mean, now they're one of the worst three teams in football. Yeah, that NFC East, I mean, yesterday the Giants coming very close to knocking off the New England, or the, not the New England, I made that mistake, Steve Levy made yeah. last night. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, John, I mean, the Eagles are 3-4-1. and one. They seem to have a stranglehold on the division, even though they, have, they don't have a losing record. Do you think the Eagles will actually be, potentially be buyers here today, or, or could they, do you just expect everybody to stand pat in that division? Mm, well, I know that... Uh... Uh, the not as far as acquiring, I think as far as trading off because they realize they're so bad. You know, the Eagles are one of those teams that are way over the cap for next year, so they can't really pick up too much more salary. That doesn't work out, and so I think that uh, you know it's just a matter of it's like okay, let's kind of get through all this and see where it goes. But uh, it's not looking good. And then finally, John, I, Chris Mortensen yesterday with the report that there could be a 16-team postseason if games get canceled over the final weeks of the regular season here. How likely is it that the NFL goes with those 16 teams? And is this sort of a a window into how they kind of want the playoff format going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, you know they want to try to get as much as they possibly can uh, if they have if they, you know because again it's like they want to have all the games played. That's their main mission, and that's certainly a good thing to try to be able to do. But they might have to get a week eighteen because you know after week thirteen there's no more bye weeks, and so you have to go four weeks. And so if any game has to be moved, it would have to be moved into week eighteen. And uh, if that's going to be the case, and it's like okay, if they want to not have a week eighteen, it's like yeah, I think that. You know, it just it's it's just another uh, protocol idea in case something doesn't go right. And I guess that's not a bad way to do it because most things have gone right. They have. They definitely have for the most part. But, you know, now we're, we're teetering on that uh, that icy surface that's going to be these final weeks of the regular season where you don't have the bye to, to help you out. Hopefully the NFL can uh, keep it up right here. Yeah, no doubt. Of course, coming up next, we go four downs with Sean Salisbury. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.